0: Okay, I want to welcome everybody to tonight's class. Welcome the new people and of course our old comrades. Tonight's class is going to be discussion on a book called Socialism Betrayed by Roger Kieran and Thomas Kenny. It was written a couple of years ago. It has to do with what happened in the Soviet Union in 1991 and their Contention of what happened and what didn't happen. And with that discussion, we came to the understanding that Bukharin, what he represented in the Soviet Union in the 1920s, and the general three shifts or three directions for the communist movement in the Soviet Union one was Stalin, collectivization, and industrialization quickly. Then on the left was Trotsky, World Revolution, and on the right was Nicholas Bukharin, NEP, New Economic Policy.
1: I'm going to start off talking about Bukharin. Nikolai Bukharin was a Bolshevik economist. Lenin noted that Bukharin is the most highly valued and important party theoretician, but it is very doubtful if his theoretical outlook can be considered as fully Marxist. And therein lies the problem, the crux of the problem. Many of the early theoreticians of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union were Russian intellectuals that gravitated toward Lenin and the Bolshevik Party because they gained state power in 1917. But that doesn't mean necessarily that these intellectuals necessarily followers of Lenin's thinking and some of these economists didn't have a fully developed Marxist theoretical outlook there were many schools philosophical interpretations of Marx and Lenin was one of those so there developed two trends in Soviet politics there was Lenin's and Stalin's views and there were Trotsky's and Bukharin's views there developed a new economic policy because something had to be done after the war and the Civil War about the economy to develop it. And so Lenin came up with the new economic policy. And on that question, the authors of the book say that the collapse of the Soviet Union did not occur because of an internal economic crisis or popular uprising. It occurred because of the reforms initiated at the top by the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and his General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev. These policies of Gorbachev and the party leadership had their origins in the economic theoretical ideas of Nikolai Bukharin. According to Molotov, who had extensive experience and personal relationships with Stalin and Khrushchev, Khrushchev, in essence, was a Bukharinite. Gorbachev, too, was a follower of Bukharin. In fact, he went so far as to rehabilitate him and to serve his own political purposes. There was what they call a de-Stalinization process that was started by Khrushchev. Gorbachev turned out to be more of a follower of Burkhard's ideas than Khrushchev even was. The working class tendency, however, in the early days Took root and favored policies that strengthened the working class by rapidly building up industry and weakened the property owning classes by collectivizing agriculture. These policies strengthened the role of the Communist Party, particularly in centralized planning. In the late 1920 and early 21, with the country freed of foreign invaders, Lenin and other leaders of the revolution turned their attention from war to peace. They needed to replace the policies of war communism, particularly the forceful appropriation of surplus grain that had alienated many peasants. And so in March of 1921, at the 10th Congress of the Bolshevik Party, Lenin proposed what became known as the new economic policy. Commenting further, Rajakirin writes, he, Bukharin, would have continued the new economic policy and allowed or even encouraged private enterprise, particularly among the Kulaks, which are the rich peasants. So what are the fundamentals of NEP? Well, Lenin considered NEP to be a strategical retreat. It says that the substance new economic policy signifies that having sustained severe defeat on this point, Defeated in war and defeated in all kinds of interventions, and the economy was destroyed. He felt that they had to start a strategic retreat. And so he said, in effect, before we are completely routed, let us retreat and reorganize everything, but on a firmer basis. If communists deliberately examine the question of the new economic policy, there cannot be the slightest doubt in their minds that we have sustained a very severe defeat on the economic front. In the circumstances, it is inevitable, of course, for some people to become very despondent, almost panic-stricken, and because of the retreat, these people will begin to give way to panic. That is inevitable. When the Red Army retreated, was its flight from the enemy not to preclude to its victory? Every retreat on every front, however, caused some people to give way to panic for a time. But on each occasion, on the Kolchak front, on the Denikin front, on the Udenich front, on the Polish front and on the Wrangel front, once we had been badly battered, and sometimes more than once, we proudly proved the truth of the proverb. A man who has been beaten is worth two who haven't. After being beaten, we began to advance slowly, systematically, and cautiously. Of course, tasks of the economic front are much more difficult than tasks on the war front. Although there is a general similarity between the two elementary outlines of strategy, in attempting to go over straight to communism, we, in the spring of 1921, sustained a more serious defeat on the economic front than any defeat inflicted upon us by Kolchak, Denikin, or Pilsudski. This defeat was much more serious, significant and dangerous. It was expressed in the isolation of the higher administrators of the economic policy from the lower and the failure to produce that development of the productive forces which the program of the party regards as vital and urgent. The surplus food appropriation system in the rural districts, this direct communist approach to the problem of urban development, hindered the growth of the productive forces and proved to be the main cause of the profound economic and political crisis that we experienced in the spring of 1921. That was why we had to take a step which from the point of view of our line cannot be called anything else than a very severe defeat and retreat. Moreover, it cannot be said that this retreat is like retreats of the Red Army, a completely orderly retreat to previously prepared positions. True, the positions for our present retreat were prepared beforehand. That can be proved by comparing the decisions adopted by our party in 1921 with the one adopted in April 1918, which I have mentioned. Positions were prepared beforehand, but the retreat to these positions took place and is still taking place in many parts of the country. And that's from the New Economic Policy by Lenin. It's volume 33 of his collected works. The basic parts of the NEP were that a tax in kind replaced the appropriation of peasant grain. So instead of just taking all the grain, they taxed the grain. They encouraged the peasant to produce more. They wanted to increase their production levels. The state used the taxes on peasant produce to revive the state-owned industry. So in other words, the agricultural output financed the building of heavy industry. And that was unheard of. So Lenin agreed that it represented a danger, and he said that it is a form of unrestricted trade, and it means turning back towards capitalism. He didn't have any doubt about that. The NEP was always meant to be a temporary measure for that reason, which is why it only continued for seven years from nineteen twenty one to twenty eight. Speaking of Bukharin specifically, the author notes that. Nikolai Bukharin represented a petty bourgeois or right-wing solution to socialism's way forward. Barrington Moore, who was an American sociologist, pointed out that unlike Lenin, Trotsky, and Stalin, Bukharin never held a high administrative post with major organizational responsibilities. Moreover, as a theoretician, he moved from the extreme left to the extreme right of the political spectrum. Barrington Moore... At this point, Bukharin's positions strongly resemble the views of Western social democracy. While Lenin viewed the NEP as a tactical retreat, Bukharin saw the NEP as the end road of socialism. That's the road to socialism, the NEP. He softened the idea of class struggle to the idea of a peaceful contest between competing interests between state industry and private industry, between cooperative farms and private farms, in which the former would gradually show their superiority. Stalin's plan for building socialism in the USSR conflicted with Bukharin and Trotsky. There were four main components to Stalin's plan for building socialism. That socialism could be built in one country. Trotsky and Bukharin rejected this concept. Trotsky believed in exporting revolution to other countries when the socialism hadn't been completed in the Soviet Union first. Then there was a policy of self-reliance. Lenin talks about this in 1915 in a lot of his writings on this subject, that we can't depend on forces from the outside. We have to depend on ourselves. And so they built up their country and their economy in the Soviet Union without help from outside. But Bukharin wanted to reach out to the British trade unionists and some other groups of social democrats and try to get them to come to the aid of the Soviets. And that did not work. One of the great analyses that I got from the old class we had, that I think this is useful for the young people, is we always associate the Stalin period with heavy industry. But that's because that's the time when the Soviet Union industrialized. So once they built that industry, then they had it. So that's why you saw later, you know, they had the service industry and things like that.
2: I think in the West and mostly Western historians of the Soviet Union, they want to draw a distinction between the Stalin period and the Lenin period. I think it's dialectically false because Stalin was a Leninist. I mean, he did not. Invent new ideas about heavy industrialization in the Soviet Union, mechanization of agriculture. And I think Lenin defended all those. I mean, he indicated how Russia, a backward industrial country with mature capitalism in the Soviet section of the country, could build heavy industry on its own. So I think after Lenin died, Stalin continued the leader of the Communist Party. So the whole credit must be given to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union.
0: Thank you for that clarification. Thank you.
3: Who are the other people supporting Trotsky and Bukharin, or how strong was the support for them, and how did Stalin come out ahead?
0: The way I do it with my mind is I put Stalin in the center. To the left of him is Trotsky, to the right of him was Bukharin. Why did Comrade Stalin come out ahead? Well, the bourgeoisie says Stalin was power-hungry, he wanted all power, and he eliminated people that were opposed to his rule. That's what they say. Now, if we look at the documents that come out of the Soviet Party at the time, what we find out is that three or four times Stalin offered to resign and step down as the general secretary. Each time, the Central Committee insisted that he stay on, unanimously. Who were the people that supported Trotsky? There was a few people, very few. Zinoviev and eventually Radek were the people that comes to my mind. Who was Bukharin? He was the editor of Izvestia. And that's the position he held. It was never the head of the Red Army, the way Trotsky had been, or anything else. When there was the trials, Mission to Moscow, which I urge everyone to look at, the DVD of the film, Mission to Moscow, if you look at that film or read the book, you'll see clearly that the trials had to do with their involvement with Japan and Germany, agents of Japan and Germany. The Trotsky followers say it's ridiculous. The American ambassador at the time had enough information in his memoirs called Mission to Moscow, that's his memoirs, and to say that they were. And that the trials for him, he sat through the trials that he felt they were very fair.
3: This book was originally published by international publishers in 2004 and it was very controversial at the time. They did not want to publish this book, but it was back and forth, back and forth, and then they decided to publish it. The reason was is because it's critical of the idea of market socialism, which was very much in play during the time of Gorbachev. The whole thing with market socialism was to link it back to the NEP period with Bukharin and that's why I'm starting out talking about this. The ramifications of this book was later on, it was pulled from the international publishers, and taken out of publication even though it was very popular later on it was printed in for example in cuba there's a spanish edition after it was published by international publishers the party itself didn't want this book in publication and so it later pulled it, even though it was still selling copies i just want to mention that thank you
0: Carmen. very important
3: there's an idealistic version of revolution which suggests that socialism should be implemented immediately no matter the conditions. But when you have a society that has a devastated industry and most villages have no industry whatsoever, there's no way you can implement planning even on a localized level for industry. So you ultimately have to do something that can allow society to eventually industrialize to prepare for the implementation of planning, which the new economic policy was the only suitable option in those conditions.
0: Marx and Stalin, if you go to their works, they're very clear. You do not support the building of a middle class. They're very clear on that. And Marx goes at great lengths to explain the reason for that, and so does Stalin. And that is that when you create a middle class, you're creating the future capitalist class because the job of a middle class is to eventually become capitalist. That's their aim. And therefore, you do not create socialism, but you're creating capitalism. That's what they both said. When the NEP happened in the Soviet Union, what happened, comrades? Something developed called kulaks, The Kulaks were petty bourgeois peasants, middle-class peasants. And they were the ones who were messing up the distribution of the grain. They were holding it back. And that's one of the main reasons they got rid of the NEP, because it was creating the middle class. I want to remind people of that.
4: How were the anarchists within the situation uh, as the Soviet Union was being built up?
0: The anarchists, by that time, by 1928, when the new economic policy ended, they were not part of the equation anymore. They were part of the equation in the beginning. The Kronstadt Rebellion, in the very beginning, that's when they had their heyday. But after that was put down by Trotsky and the leadership at the time. They were not part of the equation anymore. In fact, most Radicals, when they feel impotent, they resort to terrorism, and that's when they shot Lenin. Fanny Kaplan, an anarchist, was the one who shot Lenin. He eventually died from those bullet wounds.
4: I'm aware that Stalin tried to resign at least three times, and I've looked into it, and I've used this argument with liberals a few times. However, the a counter-argument that I've received is that Stalin was not sincere in his resignations, that his resignations were similar to the Roman dictators who would resign just to gain sympathy among the masses. Was he sincere, or was this a political tactic?
0: You can only look at history objectively, what did happen, not the reasons behind psychologically why they happened. It's what did happen, and did happen is that, Comrade, Stalin tried to resign. That's what I would say to anybody who says that about anything in history about, well, they did do this, but why did they do it? There's no way for us to know, Comrade.
4: Regarding the point about people saying, oh, Stalin didn't mean it, he was just being phony, he was just pretending to want to resign, well, obviously, That cannot be proven psychologically why Stalin did it, but on that point, one point related to that is I believe there were several occasions in the 30s where Stalin made a proposal to the Central Committee and the Central Committee voted against him. They did not adopt the proposals that he was pushing for. And also, more generally, on the question of Stalin and the Moscow Trials, and also Trotsky. Grover Fur has written several books on this topic, and from all that I've seen and heard of them so far, they seem to be very good works on the subject. They're certainly very controversial. Many people disagree with them, but from what I've seen, they, they go a long way towards... Showing that all these fables that get made up about Stalin, that were made up about Stalin by Khrushchev, were inaccurate, and that Trotsky really was the rogue that communists thought he was, were saying he was for years. Okay, thank you,
5: I'm Glad uh, you brought up that. because uh, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, that analogy I had discussed that about uh, not having a middle class and I had forgotten that. About that. I'm glad you just put that up. So, so one of the former leaders of my union, Public Employees Federation, who was a communist, talked about the problems with our union, because they were professional, were professional employees. And he said the problem with many of the members of our union is because of their education and their standing, many of them had hopes of becoming management. They had hopes of one day becoming management. So many of them did never wanted to go too far or challenge authority too much, but they wanted to maintain good relations with management because they hoped that in the future that's where they would wind up management. And it ties in specifically, and we had talked about that, uh, about the analogy with Marx and Stalin, how why you should not have a middle class. And it was not the analogy we brought up, 25, 30 years ago when we were talking about the problems of the professional employees. And- okay, and- come
0: ahead. Thank you. Where I was talking
1: before the break was that I was explaining Stalin's interpretation of the Soviet economy and what his plan was and why he was having so much difficulty with Trotsky and Bukhar. He said that Stalin's plan was for building socialism in the USSR, and that conflicted with Bukharin and Trotsky's views. There were four main components to Stalin's plan for building socialism. Number one, socialism could be built in one country. Stalin also believed firmly in the Leninist idea of self-reliance. There was also the policy of rapid industrialization. There are some quotes by Stalin that They had to industrialize in as little as 10 years, or they'd be dead. Because he was anticipating another invasion, which came to pass in World War II. Then there was the financing, which I mentioned earlier. The financing for the rapid industrialization came by increasing agricultural yields. The peasants who were well off were called kulaks, and they were the opposition to the collectivization of agriculture, and they were the opposition to rapid industrialization because it interfered with their operation that they had, which was making money. Stalin used to call them the middle strata, the middle class. They were sort of middle class people. That was a class that could not continue. It had to be liquidated. So they called it the liquidation of the kulaks as a class. There's a British historian by the name of E.H. Carr who called the formation of the problem and its solution proof of Stalin's political genius. With these ideas, these four ideas that I just outlined, Stalin defeated first Trotsky and then Bukhara. Moreover, as Carr noted, he saved the revolution. More than 10 years after Lenin's revolution, Stalin made a second revolution without which Lenin's revolution would have run out into the sand. In this sense, Stalin continued and fulfilled Leninism. Stalin was a dedicated Leninist, and he was going to build socialism no matter what. The new economic program came to an end in 1928.
0: I just want to mention that There's a debate going on, and it has to do with market socialism. And they don't call it that. The people that are involved in the communist movement who support it, they never use that term. It was the term that we used in the beginning when perestroika in the Soviet Union under Gorbachev was mentioned. It was called market socialism, but since then it has been dropped. But in Vietnam, they call it denoy, the reforms. In China, it's called "Socialism with Chinese Characteristics." In Cuba, recently, there was discussions on this. I just wanted to remind people, a half of million Cubans were taken off state employment. They were just cut out, and they were told, "Now you have an opportunity to open your own business." It was put into the Constitution. They all voted on the Constitution. It was a big discussion. And there have been areas where there have been pullbacks. Some claim it was Raul. Some came the new president. It was definitely not Fidel. He was opposed to this from the beginning, these new reforms. But they did open up certain things in Cuba, like you could open up your own restaurant, but you could only have your family members work there. You cannot live off the labor of another human being. And that's what The middle class does. The candy store in France, they call it petite bourgeois, small capitalist, petite bourgeois. And the shopkeeper, the lawyer, the person who has their own little small business. And in the German Democratic Republic, they had boutiques, little small boutiques. So even the GDR had some of that in the 1970s and onward. I hope this is something that people begin to think about because it's a big discussion. Is China socialist? Is China not socialist? And one of the reasons they give is the new economic policy that they're following. In fact, the leadership of China says it needs to be 70 years or more, whereas in Soviet Union, it was seven years and then stopped.
1: Somebody had a question of just how popular is Trotsky. And if you read the small pamphlet or booklet, whatever you want to call it, Mastering Bolshevism, you'll see that after a long deliberation period and after a referendum, I think Trotsky and his camp got less than 1% of the vote or around 1%. Yeah, it was 1%. a very, very, very small number. If you, anybody that doesn't have the book, if you want it electronically, just put into Google
3: Socialism Betrayed PDF. And it'll come right up.
1: I think it's important to remember, too, that the Kulaks, this was a big group of families. What would happen is that after the revolution, Lenin promised land, and some people were allowed to own so much land and operate their own farms and even share and a profit as long as, as they sold their wheat to the government at government-regulated prices. But the Kulaks objected even in times of famine and drought when they refused to sell to the government at their prices and burned their crops while their neighbors were starving. It was not a nice group of people.
0: Okay, thank you. All right, we're going to have to return now. I want to thank everybody and have a good evening.